Hi, this is Jordan Shively. <laughs> this is Brock Wilbur. And you're listening to Caring Into the Void. We did it. Episode 40. We did it. Nailed it. We're done. 40 it is. <laughs> we di- I didn't know about this, that this is where we're quitting, but hey, last episode of Caring Into the Void starting right now. <laughs> and we should probably just keep it on, on brand and tell us each other about a weird or dark story we've heard. And then maybe we'll try and find a silver lining and flip it into something that, while possibly not positive, will at least be productive. I have to stop the joke because I just know we'll bum out too many people. Like, it's not even worth doing. Oh, yeah. All right. (laughs) This week, I'm going to talk about a reported natural or maybe not natural phenomena that has more in common with the Windsor hum or the blip than a story about the Denver Spider-Man or the Jersey Devil. If you guessed the Min Min Lights of Australia, well... I'm going to be very surprised, and maybe you could come on our show as our first ever in the flesh unexplained mystery. Because I hadn't heard about the Min Min Lights. I, uh, I, was, I was able to guess your last Australia one, but uh, not this one. Wow. Back to back Australias. It's almost like one Google search led to two stories. <laughs> <laughs> um, so. That was too much of a peek behind the curtain. I'm not saying there's an unexplained Australia website, but um, there is. So, the Min Min Light are basically Australia's will-o'-wisps, and following in that tradition, or maybe predating it, who knows, there is some dispute whether the name comes from a bar that burned down or some surrounding topographical nomenclature, but what is universally agreed upon is that the lights exist and can be deadly if tested. The stories tell of lights showing up and sometimes being ovoid in nature are just filling the sky, but only from certain angles. And unlike the sun or other bright lights, you can stare directly into these lights and they don't hurt your eyes. They just register as light. People have followed the lights only to be led into ravines or into fences where they fall to their death. When fired upon because, yeah, humans, they're gonna just shoot at the light, (laughs) disappear, immediately, but come back later. They also can keep pace with cars traveling at normal car speeds, around 50 miles an hour. The lights are also reported to change directions and follow whomever or whatever they have attached themselves to, like a glowing spectral hound catching the scent and unwilling to leave its trail till it is run aground. All attempts of scientific query have never yielded any sort of answers besides the researchers going, Uh, well, the lights, they happen. They're there. Any attempt at taking pictures of or film of the lights results in pitch black exposures, even when the pictures before and after on the roll develop normally. Some of the explanations put forward are like bioluminescent fungi, maybe attached to birds, heat, light wave type situations, reflections, but none of those really work because this light lights up the area around it and none of those things are even when they're found in nature, are powerful enough to actually light up the countryside. But for most people, the people who live where the Min Min lights roam, they simply are. The Min Min lights are out there, and they probably always will be. You know, we talk a lot about on this show about uh, whether or not we're the sort of people that are the scientists in, in the movie that take off our helmet and poke the alien and then die. I... 
I desperately, desperately want to be the sort of personality that is the other type that just sees something and shoots at it. Like there's, you're either, you're one of the two personalities. You see a light in the sky and you start firing randomly, or you're like, eh, want to walk up, introduce myself, take off, take off my space helmet, just, uh, just poke around, see what it does. <laughs> I, I'm the third type, actually. The demonologist from the first paranormal activity who walks in, looks up and goes, nope, fuck, and walks out without even explaining himself. He just pieces out when he realizes, like, no, I, I, nope, 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 nope. Like, <laughs> 10 seconds in, 10 seconds out. There's three ways to poke the bear, and one of them is to not poke anything at all and to not uh, approach the bear. Yeah, I guess that is you. And not, and not let the bear know that you were there? <laughs> I, I, I like to think I wouldn't poke my finger into the black goo. <laughs> I mean, does it look like it looks good on bread? I don't know. Maybe if it's like Marmite or something. But yeah, moving on um, from eating black goo, I have a carrying into the void moment for the Minmin Lights of Australia. The time you have spent at the bottom of dry gulches and waiting on barren plains was never fruitless. Others may think you are the product of smoke and broken dreams, that you are just mirrors of their own light, reflections from the times past, or that you are the voiceless dead flowing back through the veil to blink balefully at those still alive. But you know that you are something utterly different and new. You have taken your time, seen the parts and fragments you wanted to draw in to make a whole, and now you are in your becoming. And the fact that those who would categorize you cannot do so makes you all the more wondrous. The end. I like that. You're on a real kick here. These are some good ones. <laughs> so what do you got for us this week? Oh, this is going to bum you the fuck out. Welcome to Bummer oh, no! Town. All right. <laughs> so what I'm covering today is uh, Pennsylvania's squonk. Okay, so it's a cryptid here, uh, and the squonk is reportedly the homeliest of all living things in Pennsylvania, observed as a creature in myth and legend, introduced in a text way back when, and it originates in northern Pennsylvania in the 19th century. William Cox documented the legend in his 1910 book, Fearsome Creatures of the Lumberwoods with a Few Desert and Mountain Beasts. Great title. Awesome. No notes. Uh, the squonk allegedly lives in the hemlock forest of the state, and Cox was making a point with the squonk and some of the other creatures in the book because when he was writing there, there was a very real possibility that the hemlock forests of Pennsylvania were going to be going away forever due to overharvesting. Here is how Cox reported in the book on the animal, which he gave the scientific name of Lacrimocorpus dissolvens spellings and capitalizations as he penned him here we go quote probably the homeliest animal in the world and knows it Aww. the distribution was once fairly wide the usual habitat being high plains where desert vegetation was abundant history shows uh, beyond dispute that as these areas gradually changed to swampy lake dotted country the squonk was forced to take to the water of distinctly low mentality, it traveled constantly around unaccustomed marshes in search of fodder. With time, it developed webbing between its toes, but only the submerged left feet. Hence, on the water, it could swim only in circles and never got back to shore. Fossil bones dredged from these lake bottoms reveal thousands perished of starvation in this manner. It is a most retiring, bashful, 
crepuscular animal garbed in loose, watery, singularly ill-fitting skin. The squonk is always unhappy, even morbid. He is given to constant weeping over his really unhappy and upsetting appearance and can sometimes be tracked by his tear-stained trail. You hunt it by following its tears. Oh no. Uh, Moonlight Um, nights are the best for squonk hunts and then the animal prefers to lie quiet. (laughs) In me. In me. Sometimes you can hear one weeping softly to himself. The sound is a low note of pleading, somewhat resembling the call of the cross-feathered snee. So I'm just going to go ahead and send you uh, a collection of uh, illustrations here that uh, show what uh, the squonk of Pennsylvania... Did this guy, like, like pre-invent Psyduck? <laughs> kind of. You, you take oh, a look man, at these and let is... me know. I love this little person, and I want them to live thrive and this guy is a jerk <laughs> come on like the, the most homely creature and it knows it that seems like just like a, a really personal attack for a naturalist to make on the creature <laughs> are, are you seeing these photos oh yeah i yeah. think he's adorable and i want i want him as my son and here's the thing uh, if you catch them they turn into a puddle of their own tears <laughs> they literally melt from Santa. This really is me. God. <laughs> At me next time, Cox. I feel, I feel so called out. Yeah, that's um. So so the, it's the tear beast. Yeah, it's yeah, it's just so sad to be the, alive. It's the cryptid of feels. Sad to be alive, too dumb to survive, and spends its like life going in circles until it drowns or starves. I just. I need to make a T-shirt that says. Too sad to be alive, too dumb to survive. <laughs> Today's carrying into the void is this. Baby, you got the glow up. I know that no one told you, but you're looking good these days. You can stop that pity party because I'm here to say you're looking better than ever. And I wouldn't lie to you. Look at all the work you've put in. You've got to recognize the small successes, the tiny leaps and bounds. I know in your head that you still see yourself that way. But I assure you, we love and accept you as you are. Continue down this path and keep putting the work in if you want, or or don't. You're perfect, just as you are. Squawk. <laughs> I just I I want to adopt this guy now. I love it so much, but if we adopt it, it'll it'll disappear into salt water. But what if we just like you know just like slightly encourage it, but like don't look at it, you know, don't look at it. Yeah, but yeah. Like, He's one of those pets that you can never look at or it'll die. One of those things you love to have around. (laughs) Yeah. So, I hear you have some great self-care this week. I'm not sure it's great self-care. My self-care this week that has been doing me very well uh, the last couple of weeks, actually, and and maybe uh, a lot of uh, quarantine, is just uh, reaching out to people like you or other artistic friends and just being like, hey, do you need anything right now? Because I recognize that I I have various skill sets and, like, it doesn't... I'm not uh, jumping in to be anybody's like, oh, hey, can I be the manager for your band right now? Or can I like copy edit your entire book or something? But I've been reaching out to people to be like, I know you're working on a creative project. What do you need help with? And like yesterday, somebody was like, I actually have a book that I'm trying to wrap up and it needs an illustrator. And I just don't know any illustrators. And I'm like, I run a publication and I have a freelancer list of illustrators that's like 25 people long. 
send me the thing. I'll take a look at it. And I'm sure I know one or two people that'd be a good fit. I was just like, oh, that took five minutes. And like, I, I helped somebody solve like their biggest creative blockade. And like, I'm trying to lean into that a little more uh, all the time. Just being like, hey, by the way, don't know what you're even up to, but like, what can I help with? Because especially like we, we know people, we're connected to people and, and especially in, in that world. And uh, I don't know, reach out to one of your creative friends or even somebody that you don't necessarily consider that. Like uh, maybe, maybe they've got something to brew in and they've been stuck on it and you've, you've got the answer. So that's, that's my self-care has just been uh, the smallest version of helping others, not having to commit uh, weeks of my life to it, but just being like, Oh, I can put you in touch with this person and, and, and that helps everyone on their way. And that feels, feels good to me. Yeah. Who'd have thunk it? Being nice feels good. <laughs> Don't be a dick and maybe you won't feel like one. You sound like the two decades of people that told me that maybe sobriety would make me happier. I just, you don't believe it until the end. <laughs> until, you, until you do and you're like, oh, this is Weird. better. Like drinking water. Hmm. Who knew that water and exercise would make you feel good on the inside? <laughs> Who knew water, the liquid of life, was necessary? <laughs> Answer, my partner did and has been telling it to me for a long time. What would you like to raise up this week? I would like to raise up a really cool small press called Neon Hemlock. They are a purveyor of queer chapbooks, speculative fiction, and literary candles. They are just doing some really cool stuff, putting out a bunch of cool novellas. They put out like five novellas this year, which is amazing for a small press. And they do a bunch of zines and they're focusing on queer speculative fiction. And I think that's a really awesome genre. The rules. Yeah. And they're, they're getting some fucking awesome writers like Lee Harlan and Caitlin Starling and all these different people. So, and their books are amazing. It's not just like a good vibe or a good focus. The books are good. So I read all their everything they've come out with so far, and I, you need to go to neonhemlock.com or find them on Twitter at neonhemlock. Will do. Also, a fucking rad name for a publishing house. Absolutely. How about you? What do you want to signal boost? Uh, I would like to lift up the game Pathologic 2. Uh, Pathologic 2 is a uh, game about being a, a sort of a doctor uh, during the Black Plague in a weird uh, European village uh, that's equal parts dreamlike, haunting funny scary and it is made by a lot of people that i have worked with including our friend cat cat manning cat manning celebration for cat time yeah it's uh this incredible project you don't have to play pathologic one it's basically the same game uh this was sort of a russian import uh, that our friends localized uh the writing is incredible on it and it is this bizarre wonderful it looks so weird, fucking weird difficult game it is so weird, and it is it is it is a world that you fall into very quickly. When it launched, it <laughs> critics loved it, uh, and it didn't make the money that it needed to make <laughs> to keep a lot of things going. And thank God, uh, somebody else stepped in, and some of the DLC that was planned for it is coming out, has come out. I forget, uh, but like the the full game experience is out there, and uh, boy. Uh, <laughs> Love that they released it just before an actual pandemic, uh, and uh, it, it feels weird to use uh, the plague for escapism, but uh, boy, it's there, and, and boy, is, is it just a, a singular experience that probably, if you're listening to this show uh, and have access to the game on one of the many platforms it's on, 
you'll probably be into. Yeah, I wanted to play it. Um, I usually don't can't get into games that are that big and complex, not because I don't like them, but because I just don't have the attention span or the the time to commit anymore. But Kat is such a good writer, and I've seen and listened to some of her Twine games that I want to play it just because I know how good of a narrative designer Kat is. So I may have to play it. <laughs> or or <laughs> buy it and then watch a Let's Play. <laughs> That is that's my that is that, the best that's, version. That's my of old one. version yeah. of playing it. I'm gonna pay for it. I'm gonna support you, but I'm gonna let someone else do the lifting and watch it like a weird ass movie. <laughs> this was a delightful one. Thank you so much. Jeff. All right. So we'll see y'all next time. And remember, until then, keep your teeth sharp and many, and your hearts dark and true. See you in the void. Bye. Tearing into the void is recorded in a studio if the studio was our closets in our houses.